Short Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Today, I'm talking with Ashley, a former nonprofit professional who recently relieved herself from the organizational politics by quitting and pursuing her side hustle full time. So whether you're working in nonprofits now or you have dreams of quitting your nine to five and doing something that you're passionate about, you'll definitely feel seen and inspired by Ashley's story. You've quit. I feel like to quit. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know how they let like a dove out of the cage and it just flies (laughs) out? (laughs) That's such a good example. Literally, it felt like someone opened the cage and I was just gone. Like I flew so high. Like I was touching the atmosphere. (laughs) Just pure freedom. I mean, honestly, I was in disbelief that I did it for a good I would say about a week. I felt so empowered because I could finally pour myself into what I really want to be doing. I think I'm more obsessed with the fact that you quit than you are. (laughs) You're my little hype woman. I tell people who don't even know you. I'm like, do you know my friend Ashley quit her job? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like I'm so inspired by it that I just have to tell people. And then everyone is following along with your journey. Like, and then what happened? And now what is she doing? So, <laughs> and then I saw somebody the other day that was like, oh, I just quit my job. And I said, congratulations, without even thinking about it. And they looked at me like, what? I was like, well, when people tell me they quit their job, I automatically think it was a good thing. I don't even consider it not being. So it mm-hmm. seems like an accomplishment to me to do. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I am excited in my head, but it hasn't shown outwardly yet. Tell us a little bit about your career and the different types of jobs that you've had and what you do. Sure. Where do I start? So I went to grad school for journalism and had grand dreams of being an international journalist. But somehow, upon graduation, found myself in media relations Same skills, different work environment. So I was definitely writing, creating content, but it wasn't exactly in the way that I had seen for myself and had planned for myself. But I figured it was a little bit hard for me to enter the journalism world. So I was like, okay, I'll just see what this communications world is about and kind of was already interested in the nonprofit space. So I leaned into that. Fast forward to (laughs) the end of 2016, I had a great opportunity to travel for a year with a program called Remote Year, which would require me to work remotely. And I pitched the idea to my job at the time, and they just weren't interested in me working remotely for the organization. So I ended up leaving that job and traveling the world for a year Worked for a small media relations agency around three months into the program. So I want to say March of 2017, started working for an agency, which was essentially the same job that I had left in D.C., but for a small sustainability-focused agency that worked with clientele only in the sustainability sector. So very much me. I'm a climate 
advocate and very passionate about the environment. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. I can do communications for a cause that I care about. And I think that was the first time I had really used my skills that I had learned in grad school and in my first few jobs out of grad school for a cause that I was personally passionate about and that aligned with things that I considered close to my purpose. So tell us about what did these jobs look like? Like, what are you doing in these jobs? (laughs) Okay, so nonprofit communications is essentially a lot of outreach and advocacy that advances the mission of the organization. So lots of writing to media outlets to try to get coverage and raise the organization's profile in the news, outreach to supporters and donors who are sending money to these causes, maintaining like a communications calendar of outreach. So newsletters and social media, just everything that falls under the umbrella of communications. Um, So out of all the things you've had to do over the years with these different organizations, what would you say is like your favorite part of doing this type of work? For me, it was always the moments where I got to be an advocate for the cause that the organization stood for. So whether it was intersectional feminism or climate justice, I really always found a lot of purpose um, and power, like being at the front lines and advocating and pushing the message forward, whether it be at a march, at a rally, within UN spaces. So that was really the sweet spot for me. I liked being behind the scenes, which is usually what communications is. You're pushing out a bunch of content on behalf of the organization and audiences rarely get to put a face to that. And so I liked making connections at the front lines where I could stand alongside and work alongside people who were also advocates for the same causes. So that was like the most for me. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people go into mission-based work and they just fall into it, but they're not necessarily, yeah, yeah, they want to change the world, but they're not necessarily super excited about what they're working on. It's, it becomes a job, but it sounds like you're really into the stuff that you've had to promote. I have been. Yeah. And I think that I've been fortunate And that I've been able to make a choice about which organizations I want to work for and use my skills at to help grow their mission. So I would say after I like worked at the front lines of like the climate justice movement, I transitioned into a more youth education based nonprofit where I was able to help uplift like young girls in New York and beyond and amplify their voices And then after that, I transitioned into a more education-based nonprofit. So what is it like being a Black woman in these type of spaces, these social justice spaces that are actually predominantly run by white women? women? (laughs) It's been different. I've had an array of experiences because I've seen spaces that are very inclusive and I've seen and been in spaces that are very divided. So being a Black woman, I mean, we know what it's like to try to have a voice in a space and not be listened to. And so that's always been really difficult for me because I would say in my personal life, I don't always feel listened to. And then as a Black woman in the greater context of this country, we're usually not heard in 
the ways that we need to be heard. And so it's difficult. I think you just have to relentlessly advocate for yourself, even when you feel like you're in a space with, quote unquote, allies who say that they're standing for the same movement, but don't necessarily um, have the knowledge and the experience to connect with the individuals that they're even ensuring, trying to ensure justice for. So how do you speak on what a Black community needs if you have never immersed yourself in that community and don't have family, friends, and colleagues in that specific community? So that's always been hard for me to draw those connections. I always want to know allies and advocates. I want to know their intentions up front so that we can you know, advance a movement together, whether it's social justice, uh, women's rights, climate justice, we need to just be all on the same page. And I need those allies to admit when they don't have enough information or enough knowledge to um, properly advocate and advance a mission, which is hard because (laughs) in a room, I've seen this in UN spaces, I've seen this at, you know, more informal advocacy meetings where folks just aren't honest about their lack of knowledge on an issue. And so you can't help a community if you don't know how to approach an issue or don't even know what the people need. I know it's kind of vague, but <laughs> I think that applies to most like movements yeah. that we're aware of right now. Yeah. For sure. So when you're in these spaces and you're working, you know, you're thinking of yourself as an employee, not just, you know, doing the work and helping these movements. You're working and, you know, making money right. to live. What are red flags for you? Like, what are things that have come up for you that have made you think, oh, I don't know about this place or I don't know about this position or I don't know about my longevity here? <sighs> Great question. Um, So from a professional standpoint, I would say just poor management, poor leadership. That's always a red flag for me. If those who are interested to lead an organization are kind of not practicing what they preach behind the scenes, mm-hmm. that is a red flag. A huge red flag. Uh, folks who are very disconnected from the mission. So they may appear to be passionate about it, so let's say, for example, the mission in this case is social justice for Black communities in New York. Okay. They, they're passionate about it. They know how to speak about what needs to be done, but it's very PC. It's very robotic in a way. I'm trying to think of the right adjective to describe it, but they're just regurgitating like data and academic reports on what needs to be done to help a community, but they don't necessarily connect themselves with the community. And I know that's been hard during COVID. Obviously, we can't be in person as much, but I don't know, just an overall disconnect to the people. Do you feel Um, like they're emotionless about it? Like there's no feeling? Yeah. If there's no feeling, there's no passion, there's no, there's, you couldn't ask them, okay, what was the moment in time you knew that you should be advancing this mission or you felt like very purposeful in this movement. And I think that they wouldn't be able to answer that in a way that expresses like passion or real intention. It's just, oh, I think this is good because this is work that needs to be done. Not that this is good because I feel connected to it. It's just, it's very impersonal, but yeah. And maybe about what it looks like on the outside. 
is the way I always think about it. Like, oh, people will think well of me if I'm creating an organization to help the homeless. But I'm actually not connected to helping the homeless community, but it looks like a good thing to do with my money. Right, right. It's just like throwing money at something because you know that (laughs) it looks good. Someone has to do it. But what brought you here? You know, you're not, why are you doing this other than it just being the right thing to do? So just, yeah. Disconnect. What are some other red flags? I'd say just in the day-to-day workplace, like poor relationship management and communication with your team. And this is something that I've experienced across all of my jobs in the nonprofit world is just lack of communication, lack of clarity, which if we're all here to advance a mission, like (laughs) we can't get anything done if we're not talking to each other in a respectful way or trying to collaborate and work together in the most productive and positive ways. So there's, I've observed and experienced a lot of passive aggression and Mm. uh, lack of accountability. And it's just unfortunate because it stops you from focusing on the folks who need you most. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about the final straw for you. (laughs) What was the moment that you were like, F this. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. And I'm going to quit. Oh, man. I'll make this concise. But yeah, in my <laughs> last in my last nonprofit role, I had held the most senior position I'd ever held, director level, on a team that was made up of 12, 12 people. And going into the role, I was really excited. It was the highest paying job that I had been offered a position for, highest role. And I was just really excited about the mission. The job was going well. There were some red flags that did come up, but I said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna play fair. I'm going to see what pans out. Just observe and experience things for myself instead of listening to what other people's experiences have been. I just kind of wanted to stick it out. And I had heard from former colleagues at this organization that they had not had the best experience on this specific team that I was hired to do work on. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of <laughs> nerve wracking, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see for myself. The final straw was over the course of my last two weeks in this job, I had two meetings with leadership on my team. There were two calls I had with two higher ups on my team where we were going over feedback and going over projects that I had been working on, high priority projects. And from my end, they just completely dropped the ball um, on their communication and on the prioritization of these projects. And so me coming in, it's kind of, it's a convoluted situation, but essentially I was new and I was given projects that I had no support on and it was just an unfair situation where a lot of stuff was dropped in my lap without a team that could properly support me. And then when I, you know, was confronted with the progress of these projects, there was a lot of finger pointing. There was a lot of question questioning of my role, questioning of my capability. And essentially this just snowballed into a bigger issue where I was attacked on a Zoom call and basically told that there was uncertainty around my skill. And the way that this was communicated was in a very condescending, disrespectful way. 
And that was the final straw for me. I decided that was something I could not deal with in the workplace. I could not deal with blatant disrespect, finger pointing, passive aggression. And this was accumulation of things that had happened before these calls even took place. So, you know, and I, at first, you know, didn't want to play the race card, (laughs) but I'm a young Black woman, you know, entering the highest level role of my career over the past 10 years. And the higher ups on my team who do not identify as people of color knew. And I think that they use this as an opportunity to kind of test if I was ready for this position. After already knowing that I was indeed qualified for the role, had gone through an intensive interviewing process, had amazing references and work examples and had, you know, performed great on the writing test that I was given for this role. So I was incredibly offended to have my capabilities questioned three months into the position when it was clear that this role was not set up for me to be successful in, possibly from the start. And so that was my final straw. (laughs) I, within 48 hours, decided that I could. Yeah. Keep going. I it's, I think it's delayed. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. I was saying, yeah. So within 48 hours, I made the decision that I had to leave this toxic work environment. And I just did it. You literally did it in 48 hours, like less than 48 hours. <laughs> I think you did it in 24 <laughs> hours. I think you were like, I don't know. I'm going to make a random time, like 2 p.m. Oh, hell no. This just happened. And like the next day you woke up the next day and you were like, yep, still feeling like I'm over this. (laughs) And I'm sitting in a resignation letter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was quick. And it was crazy because I had already felt this strong intuition before I things had reached this boiling point that maybe this wasn't the right fit for me. Maybe I took the job for the wrong reasons. I'll say also, after I received this job, I had no manager or direct report. So that was kind of a red flag that happened in the beginning, but I buried it and was like, okay, maybe I don't need a manager. And so I don't know, once this happened, once I reached the point where I decided to resign. I sat and reflected on the course of that happened over the past few months when I took the role and I realized, oh my gosh, I am not happy here and this is not the right fit for me. My intuition has been trying to tell me this, but I haven't been listening because I felt so lucky to finally being be paid a salary that I thought I deserved and work at an organization that had such an audacious mission, but it was not going to be worth being mistreated. And based on conversations I'd had with colleagues, this was not a work culture that was going to change anytime soon. So I decided to remove myself from it completely before things got any worse. So you said that you had some instincts about some of the issues before you even took the job, right as you started. What do you think it was that made you kind of push that voice to the back of your mind and continue in the process of getting the job and starting? Yeah, great question. Um, I think I consulted with some colleagues of mine who knew about the organization beforehand and 
one colleague had actually helped me make the connection to someone who worked there. And so I, I had heard nothing but great things about the organization. I had done my own research and loved you know, the media coverage and loved how leadership was advancing the mission. And so I felt good about it until, I don't know, I just felt like there were little ways that I was blindsided about how I was even going to be working day to day. Like I wasn't told up front that the team was staying remote, wasn't staying remote. I'm sorry. I wasn't told up front that we were transitioning into an office workplace pretty soon. And that was shared with me after I accepted the offer. So that was something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I was like, okay, maybe it won't be so bad to be back in an office. But the way that it was communicated was definitely a red flag. But I tried to look past. Yeah, there were other moments where I had enthusiasm because of what other people had shared with me about the organization. So I kind of followed that positivity and just tried to, I don't want to say I ignored my intuition because I didn't, but I don't know. I feel like there was a little voice in me saying, maybe this isn't right, but I was trying to be open-minded at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was also leaving. It's important to know that I was leaving a work situation where I was incredibly underpaid and overworked. And I knew I couldn't do it anymore. So maybe this role, this new role that I had entered was giving me a glimmer of hope and that I could actually be paid what I felt like I was worth, finally. (laughs) And so it's just, it's crazy. (laughs) You know, it's all perspective. It's just, and now looking back, I'm like, no, I'm worth so much more. Like there's no price tag you can put on what I'm going to contribute to your team. And now I know that, but- it feels kind of like manipulative, right? Like you start off at a place where all lot of things are wrong, right? You're overworked, you're underpaid, coworkers or management isn't treating you right. So then you at least feel like you've solved one part of the puzzle when you get a job offer that gives you a significant pay increase. And so it's really exciting. And then the rest feels like it's going to line up too, but it's always, yes. it's, but sometimes it feels like it's at a cost. Like, yeah, we're going to pay you more, but we're going to torture you more as well. Sacrifice your mental and physical health. Yes, it's fine. We're all, and it's crazy because everyone on the team was kind of doing that. Like you, I could tell that my colleagues were not very happy, but they're like, oh, but we're so lucky to be at this organization. That's what the message that we were receiving from leadership and that some of my coworkers were repeating back to each other, well, it's all about the mission. It's all about the greater cause. But at what cost? Like, how can you advance a mission if you're severely unhappy? I just, I don't think that's possible. Yeah. And definitely, how can you do your job at the best of your ability when you're in a negative work environment? Yeah, exactly. Really hard. Uh, What do you really want to be doing? (laughs) Tell us. So my business uh, is Bloom Creative, and it's been like a side hustle for the past year. It's a small multimedia branding and content marketing agency that I started before the pandemic. Well, I want to say the idea had been in my brain before the pandemic, and then something about the pandemic starting last year March and April, like lit a fire under me to make it a real thing, build a website and set up a business plan. And so for the past year, I have been working on building it up. But because I've been working in such demanding 
nonprofit communications jobs. I've never fully been able to spend time on projects and with clients that I wanted to. And so I work with all Black women-owned businesses and helping them just expand their reach and solidify their branding and their stories through Bloom Creative. And so that's my baby. So what is... What does taking that type of risk look like? I think a lot of people (laughs) want to work for themselves. A lot of people have ideas just like you and could be successful. But just the the idea of putting all their eggs in that basket is nerve wracking and people just don't pull the trigger. They just won't do it. So what is it? What's that risk look like to you? Oh, my gosh. It's scary. I'm not going to lie. But. It's, you just have to do it. I mean, there's always going to be fear. There's always going to be uncertainty, but you have to trust yourself and you have to give yourself the chance to make mistakes and to just go hard for something that you believe in. If you don't create the space for yourself to do that, how do you know what could happen? And so that unknowing is going to probably bother you. It's going to keep you up at night. You're like, okay, what could happen if I just did this? Or whatever your passion is, whatever, you know, business or uh, entrepreneurship project you want to dive into. Obviously, okay, I will say I took a risk when I do, you know, I have some savings. So, mm, okay, <laughs> okay, the <laughs> secrets there. <laughs> the secrets, yeah. So the essentials, I would say, definitely have some savings to set up for yourself so that you can be financially secure for at least at least three to five months, I would say. Some people might say at least the next year. For me, I know that if I you know, need to go apply to a job and possibly work another nine to five again, I could make the decision to do that. But for some folks who are taking that leap, they want might want more cushion. For me, I'm like, okay, I'll be good for the next five months. I feel comfortable making this decision. Definitely a network of people around you who are cheerleading for you, supporting you, can serve as a sounding board for ideas for your business. And having at least some of those people know what it's like to start a business. So I definitely have a few people who are very close to me in my life who can offer business advice and just share with me best practices for running your own small business. So I would highly suggest having a resource or a few resources who can offer you that. And it's still going to be scary, even with all the support and a lot of money in the bank or whatever savings you have. It's still scary because you're taking a risk and betting on yourself. But why not? Like I'm saying this now, but I don't know what's going to happen. Totally just flowing with it and putting the energy out into the universe and hoping that I attract what I need to attract to be successful. Okay, so I'm going to kind of put us both on blast right now. So we did make a pact that the nine to fives we were in would be our last nine to fives. And you have now exited yours. So that means you (laughs) can't go back to one. So now everyone is going to hear this. Boom Creative is going to work and it has to work because we're not doing nine to fives anymore. Like when I think about the things that I've dealt with out of fear, I don't want to make decisions and work from a place of fear ever again. And Mm. I just want to continue to build up my confidence and my power. You know what it's like. We both know what it's like to 
to function from a place of trying to just survive. But yes, I'm trying to enter a space where (laughs) I'm trying to shift from a space where I'm focused on surviving to focusing on thriving and just pouring, you know, everything I have into thriving and knowing that I can thrive. Yeah, I feel like this episode was supposed to be about quitting and it feels like it's really about confidence because (laughs) you cannot quit without it. It's just like the first step and even getting to the point where you feel like you can make your own decisions at work, even if that's not quitting, but like doing less hours or switching your career or going back to school or anything like that. It feels like confidence is the root of that. Hit me up, y'all. Bloom-creative.com or connect with me on Instagram at bloomcreative.co. Find me there. Let's connect. Let's talk. Let's grow together. Love it. Thank you. My inspiration. (laughs) And then I like log back onto my nine to five. Great. Like uh, (laughs) help me. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. This has been amazing. And I would love to come back. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'll think about it. Such great advice from Ashley. And I, too, encourage you all to consider taking a chance. But of course, do your research, get all your things in order, and save money. Because at the end of the day, you still got to eat and pay those bills. There's nothing more frustrating than trading one stressful situation for another. If you're already in holiday shopping mode, make sure you head to the Work Stories website to get your anti-imposter syndrome t-shirt for all the boss women in your life. Have a great week.